0: From Podcast One.
1: Coming up in
2: this episode
1: of Target USA. People have asked what motivated me at the end of the hunt for Osama bin Laden when mm-hmm. I actually joined it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I said people jumping onto the World Trade Center on 9-11 motivated me. And that motivated me throughout the time
2: that we were working to get uh, bin Laden. This is part two of our interview with former CIA officer, Mark Kelton. And while he was working with Pakistan to help find Osama bin Laden, something mysterious happened to him.
1: I, I got extremely ill. Uh, what's been covered in the papers, there was a uh, suspicion of poisoning. Uh, that did not come from me. That came from medical professionals.
2: That was years ago, but to this very day. Uh, ultimately, they've
1: never been a resolution as to what happened to me.
2: Kelton says the U.S. relationship with Pakistan is difficult, partly because of whom Pakistan
1: chooses to associate with. Pakistan itself, by uh, working with some of these organizations, the Haqqanis, the Taliban in particular, uh, I think has made a deal with the devil. And when it comes to the U.S. fight against terrorism? you defends everything defends nothing, Frederick the Great said. The United States cannot play defense, whether it's in the intelligence arena, the counterterrorism arena. Playing defense, uh, we will we will never have a perfect record. So the, the best response we can have is to stay on offense. Coming up
2: on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On this episode of Target USA, it's part two of what we started last week on our 100th episode. And the conversation was so good, it was absolutely imperative that we make uh program 101 a continuation of that and another part of the reason is that this guy has done so much amazing stuff it's simply impossible to get it all into a modestly timed podcast so uh, episode 101 features mark kelton and he Uh, refers to himself as a retired CIA officer. And he will tell you that he's not a hero, but he worked with heroes. But we all know, based on some of the stories that have been confirmed and were indeed true, that he ranks among some of the greats that have ever served this nation. And we're so happy to have him with us today. Mark, uh, you had, in our last episode, talked about your early years working against the Russian Cold War era, Foe. And then after that, you also talk very broadly about spies and, you know, what makes them tick, what their motivations are quite often. And, you know, you talked about Edward Snowden, but one of the greatest things that most people alive now will remember was this episode that came to a close on the 2nd of May in 2011. And that was the killing of Osama bin Laden. It is our understanding and it has been confirmed in some circles that you were involved in working with Pakistan uh, in some elements of uh, U.S. activities to to, to to find and engage Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. How did you work with Pakistan?
1: Well, uh, in, uh, working with Pakistan, um, you know, well, Pakistan is a key ally of the United States in uh, the war on terror and has been. It is also a country with which we've had a fraught relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the difficulties of working with Pakistan, I think, have been well documented in um, uh, a number of writings. I, I will say that uh, we could not have accomplished much of what we've done we did against Al Qaeda without Pakistani assistance. At mm-hmm. the same time, Pakistan has maintained relations with uh, terrorist organizations that have and, and organ- other organizations that have uh, caused casualties uh, against uh, United States forces and others in uh, Afghanistan, hence the uh, recent uh, steps by the Trump administration to um, try to sanction the Pakistanis. Uh, so it's a relationship that is, is a difficult one. Uh, Pakistan itself, uh, by making, um, uh, by uh, working with some of these organizations, the Haqqanis, the Taliban in particular, uh, I think has made a deal with the devil uh, in, in the sense that the gun culture from the federal, federally-administered tribal areas has sort of spread into settled areas of Pakistan, and they're having a hard time coping with that. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, uh, it would seem to me that they need the United States as an ally in order to help ensure their internal security. Mm-hmm. And um, we have uh, many things in common, but these issues of Pakistani support for the Taliban and their counties in particular uh, are issues that have been long-standing and uh, have been addressed. Getting to the, the issue of um, Osama bin Laden in particular, um, the uh, the time that I worked with Pakistan, of course, Osama bin Laden was the number one terror target in the world. Uh, he had been for a decade uh, since the United States uh, lost track of him after Tora Bora in uh, Afghanistan. and um, the untold story to some extent of the hunt for osama bin laden is one of a heroic effort by cia and other members of the intelligence community hundreds of people literally to hunt down a man who was responsible for mass murder
2: um the uh and, and why is that story so so fascinating obviously be, not beyond you working for the cia but 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 for the layperson why
1: well uh you know of course osama bin laden after 9 11 the united states strikes back uh, we uh, move into Afghanistan to go after uh, uh, Al-Qaeda and its Taliban allies, topple the Taliban regime. O- Osama bin Laden flees ultimately to Pakistan, but we lose track of him in Bora. One of the reasons we lost track of him, frankly, were leaks in the United States about the intelligence coverage, the, the, the coverage that we had on Osama bin Laden on his phone, uh, which was uh, the Thiraya phone at the time, uh, and the information was leaked uh, to the press. Uh, But in fact, we lost track of him, and then a hunt began to try to bring him to justice uh, for two reasons. A, because he was still the operational leader of of al-Qaeda, and uh, we were were concerned of the damage that that organization continued to do to us and our allies, Mm -hmm. and B, as a moral question. Uh, People have asked me since then what motivated me at the end of the hunt for Osama bin Laden when Mm -hmm. I actually joined it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I said, people jumping out of the World Trade Center on 9/11 motivated me, and that motivated me throughout the time that we were working to get uh, Bin Laden. And I would say that the the um, I was privileged to be there at the end, uh, but the people that did all of the work over that decade, uh, who had roles big and small in that hunt the ultimate action against bin Laden brilliantly carried out by special operations forces, the United States, the SEALs. Mm -hmm. uh, They were the real, um, the real creators of that success. Mm -hmm. Tremendous work. Uh, and by, again, a large number of people. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, you know, we have a program here called the hunt for Osama bin Laden and that program, you know, essentially aired for, uh, close to a decade uh, until he was uh, caught and killed um, in 2011. Right. Our program is now titled simply The Hunt because he, he's he's he gone from the scene, but there's still an Al-Qaeda, right. there's an ISIS, and there's still all sorts of terror threats out there. But um, there hadn't been one like Osama bin Laden, right. and he managed to stay on the run for a very long time. And, right. and, and I'm very interested in finding out what, Took him. Why was it so hard to find him?
1: One of my 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 former colleagues who uh, headed uh, CT operations at CIA said was asked the same thing, and he said he was hiding. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, he, so? he, he, he was hiding, but
2: he, did, he, he 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 wasn't just hiding. Uh, you know, just just in the, in the true sense right. of, of how a simply a person hides. He right. did some pretty amazing hiding, and right, you know he, he, did. he, he did. added some. Some real flavor to the concept of hiding.
1: Well, he understood, uh, or his the people around him understood the strengths of U.S. intelligence, technological collection, and other things, and cut himself off from it.
2: And how did they understand that?
1: Well, when you're the recipient of uh, of the actions of the United States, you learn pretty quickly you know, what the strengths of the United States are. And the mm-hmm. enemy certainly has paid a price. Mm-hmm. Um, now, but, really,
2: really quick, if I could interrupt, you, we talk about Pakistan and the difficulty working right? with pakistan and some of the uh, forces there are many forces inside pakistan mm-hmm. were they getting information from uh, the the bin laden people getting information from people who shouldn't have been giving it to them
1: i, I don't know that i think that's an outstanding question that's still you know still out there still out about there pakistani complicity or or the question of i get asked this question quite frequently and and, and you know um uh, again there's a lot of theories on it but there's evidence is Still, uh, uh, still to be found. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I, may, I have my own personal views on it, but I'm not going to voice them here. And but, understood. But uh, Pakistan is an ally of the United States and an essential ally, but it is one where the relationship is fraught. Mm-hmm. Um, bin Laden and Al Qaeda and the uh, the radical jihadis that they sort of
2: symbolize uh, did great damage to the Pakistanis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, uh, I interrupted you, and I took mm-hmm. you off course. You were talking no. about how Bin Laden's people understood.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, um, they understood the strengths of U.S. intelligence, intelligence collection, so the, the, they took very primitive and, and effective um, measures to try to protect him and the people around him, uh, which uh, was to cut themselves off from um, means that we would normally use to collect intelligence on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and
2: um, and that would mean a cell phone or s- yeah, cell
1: phone or, or communication mm-hmm. um, and went to more primitive but effective means of using uh, couriers and the like to uh, relay information um, the the interesting thing of course is, is that that had uh, a positive effect for us and, and it became more difficult for bin Laden to to lead the organization that he professed to still lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly uh, damaged uh, Al-Qaeda in looking for uh, direction from its principal leadership. Mm-hmm. And we would see that later after the raid, of course, the intelligence that came out certainly den- demonstrates that, the uh, the complicated uh, nature of his contact with the outside world. Mm-hmm. But as an intelligence target, uh, that um, having cut himself off from the outside world made him much more difficult to find.
2: But you know... Yeah, he did cut himself off, but he was found hiding in Abbottabad, which is yeah. not that far from what I've been told is Pakistan's version of West right. Point. Right. How does that happen?
1: Well, I mean, I'm I'm not going to uh Frankly, to have him found in Abbottabad was uh, was a surprise <laughs> to to everybody that was involved. Uh, the Pakistanis, I, again, we've talked a little bit about their role and what they knew and what they didn't know, and I, I I'm not going to speak to that here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my own, as I said, I have my own views on it. But the 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 the, the, the issue for us was uh, trying to locate him and pinpoint him, and um, you know, trying to do that ourselves. Why Mm -hmm. did we try to do that ourselves? I think that's pretty well covered. Been pretty well covered in press reporting and other reporting on the uh, the operation. But we did it so that we could um, uh, protect sources and methods, Mm -hmm. and ultimately uh, make a decision on how to proceed against the target.
2: Mm -hmm. Yours uh, is a costly line of work sometimes, Mm -hmm. and um, we hear this all the time, but we never really grasp. Um, As as lay people, as people who are just average workers and citizens of this Mm -hmm. country and people, we don't really grasp the gravity of the difficult and dangerous work that intelligence officials like yourself and operational personnel uh, do. Right. Yours is a very, very interesting story because you probably are one of the lucky people. Uh, Who, um, at least that we know, one of the luckiest we know, that while you were in Pakistan, you fell ill, and I'm assuming you weren't. This wasn't just food poisoning. I don't know what it was, but I'm going to ask you to tell us what you can tell us about that and why you think it happened.
1: Well, the first thing, you know, I, I, um, my illness, you know, has been discussed in the papers and things, and and uh, I would say that. Whatever it was, and whatever I suffered, was nothing compared to uh, what others have suffered uh, in the service of their country. If one goes into CIA and looks at the um, the stars on the wall, those stars have more than doubled since the time I joined oh, wow. the CIA, and the vast majority of those lost since 9/11. People wow. who have put themselves literally on the line and given their all for their country. Um, in the hunt for bin laden which we talked a little bit about all those uh, fine officers killed at coast many of them were directly involved in that hunt at uh, various points of their career and um it they um their sacrifice is something that i think all cia personnel present and past uh, feel mm-hmm. very deeply uh, i knew a number of people who've been killed and um I try uh, to support uh, endeavors like the CIA Memorial Fund, which helps the families of officers who have uh, fallen in line of duty uh, and tries to educate their children, but we can never replace that loss. My
0: mm-hmm. own
1: personal s- story, um, I, I got extremely ill. Uh, what's been covered in the papers, there was a uh, suspicion of poisoning. Uh, that did not come from me. That came from medical professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, they've never been a resolution as to what happened to me mm-hmm. uh, or why I got sick. I'm better now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's the cost of stress, difficulty, risk in my line of, my line of work uh, was and is great. Mm-hmm. I think people really don't understand, the American people don't understand, CIA has effectively been at war since the embassy bombings in 1998 and certainly since 9-11 there are people who have done multiple deployments in very, very dangerous areas. Mm-hmm. That has an effect on personnel, an effect on families, and the sacrifices that these people make is, uh, is awe-inspiring. So my, um, my problems really pale in comparison to what uh, what they have
2: endured. Well, thank you, but let's not downplay it because you're here to tell the story. Um, that many can't tell for themselves anymore, and uh, we're thankful that you're here to tell us um, this particular story. I would like to ask a couple quick follow-ups regarding this uh, situation. Um, When you realized you were ill, what went through your mind? At the time,
1: well, you know, I, I was in an I was in an operational capacity at the time, and um, uh, was reluctant to leave that capacity. I was uh, I had the privilege and honor of leading some great people, um, and uh, there is no greater honor than leading CIA personnel, uh, and particularly in a in a um, in an operational capacity. Um, and I um, had to make the hard decision to uh, give up that assignment and come home for treatment. It was necessary. I just couldn't function anymore.
2: Uh, and, um, it had been been an
1: extremely, uh, it had been an extremely stressful period. I'll say that. And an extremely successful period. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the people that I worked with, um, were, were, and are truly heroes.
2: Mm -hmm. Are you able to say what your symptoms were?
1: Uh, I I don't really don't want, I really don't want to address that publicly. I mean, you know, I, uh, let's just say it's necessitated a number of operations. Mm.
2: (laughs) Well, again, we're glad you're here to tell this story. Um, so when you did make the decision to leave, to come to the U.S. to get treatment, um, did you want to go back? What did you want to do then? How did you... Uh,
1: I, I definitely wanted to, you know, I, if I had had the capacity to do it, I would have, but the, the, the nature of the medical condition necessitated that uh, I, I end my assignment. Mm. And in fact, um, uh, in the wake of bin Laden... Uh, the Bin Laden operation and the tension that it caused—it made it very difficult to to work uh, to go, in the region. To go back, yeah. yeah, to work in the region. So I um, I took on the job of chief of counterintelligence at CIA, uh-huh. uh, which was you know I, I want to say you know that the early part of my career was uh, it was spent in a very hard operational school. Mm-hmm. I worked against the Eastern Europeans, the, the Russians, the Soviets, and that um, instilled in me a lot of. Um, Professional discipline and operational tools that I would bring to bear at the end of my career Mm -hmm. to include in the hunt for bin Laden and they always served me very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I um, took on the job of counterintelligence, it was a natural finish to a Mm -hmm. career Mm -hmm. uh, because I could um, go back to my roots and sort of bring that knowledge and experience to bear to try to hunt people and um, uh, people who betrayed our country.
2: We're talking with former CIA officer, Mark Kelton, and when we come back, we'll hear him tell us this. The main thing is to focus on the threat to
1: American democracy Mm -hmm. uh, and not to lose sight of the fact that uh, the intent of the Russians here was to undermine U.S. democratic process. And uh, they've succeeded. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the, the issue now for the United States is how to respond to that. This is Target USA,
2: the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. We've been talking with Mark Kelton for two episodes now, and he's told us some amazing things about his career. I promised you in episode 100 that we'd have a good surprise for you, and um, this I have to say myself, is a great one. And uh, we've heard some stories from him regarding his work for the U.S. intelligence community, for the CIA against Russia. We've heard him talk about his work with Pakistan. We've heard him talk about... Uh, Edward Snowden, his, his role in, in dealing with that fiasco, and he's also imparted some wisdom to us about the thoughts uh, and the, the makeup of spies and how to counteract them and the situation with Russia today, how it's trying to interfere in the U.S. and where all that came from and where it might be going. As we conclude this, uh, we've got two pieces to handle here, and one of them is the fact that uh, we've still got a terror problem going on. Uh, and we also have Mark Kelton in a role where he's teaching. He's using what he's learned to uh, educate other people, which I, I can't think of a, a more fitting and suiting, suitable way for a person with his great deal of info, information and experiences to pass it on to others to educate others. Mark, the, the ISIS problem uh, in June of 2013, they exploded on the scene. Blitzkrieg was the term that was used during World War II, I believe, to to define the German capability to strike. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure what was used (laughs) about ISIS, but it seemed literally overnight that they exploded on the scene, taking over a good portion of Iraq and Syria uh, and essentially dominating the global terror picture for a good while until um, about uh, June or July or maybe late uh, in uh, 2017. Uh, in early 18, we're, there's still some remnants of the physical presence of ISIS being dealt with in both Iraq and Syria and around the world. But uh, I'm very interested in um, your take on what you think the greatest threat the U.S. faces is when it comes to the CT, the terrorism picture. Yeah. So so ISIS uh, blitzkrieg is
1: probably an apt term in the sense that they exploded into a vacuum of power in uh, Iraq and the former, in what is now Syria or was Syria essentially breaking up. Um, in the United States uh, uh, ultimately worked with our allies to counter it and to crush Raqqa, which was necessary to do to uh, not only destroy the organization but try to discredit its ideology. There are remnants of ISIS, of course, around the world and they're trying to reestablish themselves. They remain a threat. Uh, the United States has done tremendous work, people in the military and intelligence uh, in terms of literally destroying the organization and its fighters. Uh, and thereby discrediting to some degree the ideology. Uh, ISIS, of course, remains a threat. Al Qaeda remains a threat. But the, the, the war on terror, if you will, which I continue to call it, the war against jihadis, uh, has, a, has shown a propensity to metastasize from one stage to another and to get worse. So uh, I don't, when you're fighting an idea, and we are fighting an idea, that idea hasn't played itself out yet. Uh, And, uh, you know, war has its own logic, and one must assume, the United States must assume that there will be other groups that will succeed ISIS that will be equally vile uh, and equally uh, desirous of striking the United States and its allies. So the United States uh, has to keep up its uh, internal defenses, defenses against the homeland, but the best defense uh, is, of course, to strike at the enemy. Uh, where they where they exist and that's the job for the United States intelligence and for the military and I, I don't see that ending mm-hmm. for a while.
2: What do you think you've learned during your career that you think would be most beneficial uh, in today's uh, evolving terrorism s- situation?
1: Um, he who defends everything defends nothing Frederick the Great said right The United States cannot play defense whether it's in the intelligence arena the counterterrorism arena. Playing defense, uh, we will we will never have a perfect record. Our job is to protect the American people, whether it's from counterintelligence threats or counter, or terrorist threats. Um, so the the issue, uh, the the best response we can have is to stay on offensive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that doesn't mean wage war all over the world, but it means be selective about where we're going to strike the enemy. Identify where the enemy is and strike them. Uh, and um, frankly, to those that will. Kill
2: Americans, be merciless about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you are using a lot of um, what you learn to, again, as we mentioned here, to share with others in in mm -hmm. a teaching capacity. Uh, What can you tell us about your teaching work? Um, um, You you are in retirement now. (laughs) Yes, I am in retirement, sort of. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) But teaching and teaching this seems to me to be a very demanding uh, choice. It is. So first, why did you choose to do this? Well,
1: uh, I chose to go into teaching. as I I teach and I consult, sort Mm -hmm. of to be clear about it. Um, I chose to to teach or uh, to take up teaching because mentoring and leading young officers was what I liked best about my job at CIA. Uh, You know, uh, at a certain point in your career as an intelligence officer, you move from doing to uh, uh, sort of overseeing activities. And the doing is a hell of a lot more fun than the overseeing. But when you're in overseeing one of the joys that you that you get is to uh live vicariously through the young people that mm-hmm. are actually out doing things mm-hmm. and see them grow so now that i'm not in the intelligence world anymore i still want i still think there's a a place for um trying to instruct aspiring national security professionals in uh in pr- professions that they may take up mm-hmm. uh so uh i teach at georgetown in the uh uh, security Studies Program, School of Foreign Service, and I teach at the Daniel Morgan uh, Graduate School mm-hmm. to uh, on counterintelligence issues. Uh, it's um, I teach about the history of counterintelligence, which has a rich history in the United States that's little known, uh, and trying to take some of the lessons from the past and apply them to current problems, or to give peop- the, my students a grounding in the past so that when they join the U.S. government, in whatever capacity. Uh, they'll have a knowledge that they can draw on to help mm-hmm. them solve current problems.
2: Mm-hmm. Give us a sense, just a nugget, of why this counterintelligence history in the U.S. is so rich.
1: Well, I mean, the United States, well, the importance of counterintelligence, I've spoken a little bit about it in the, um, earlier on, but there's an, always an attention, a tension between secrecy and um, democracy in the United States. And in no area is that more uh, an issue than in counterintelligence, which effectively you're, you're, you have is the powers of the state being directed against American citizens who have betrayed their country. Mm-hmm. Those people retain the rights of citizens. Uh, so it is a it is an intelligence issue, an investigative issue, but it's a law enforcement issue. Uh, how does the state react and how does the state act to uh, blunt the threat from those who would betray its secrets mm-hmm. and betray their country? And that, that's been an issue since the founding of the United States. The only crime that is articulated in the U.S. Constitution is treason. Hmm. And the reason for that, of course, is because of the earliest traitor that uh, our uh, founding Arnold. fathers, Benedict Arnold, had to confront. That is why it's written in there. Yeah. And he still, I think, rem- to this day, remains the highest ranking uh, traitor in mm-hmm. U.S. history. Interesting. Um, and there has been treason Uh, or spies working against the United States, Americans who have betrayed their country ever since. Mm. Many are little known, Mm. but many of the cases early, of the early cases, you find the same basic parameters for the case later on. If you compare Mm -hmm. Benedict Arnold, which essentially uh, a man who um, had ego problems, needed money, fell in love with the wrong woman, uh, Peggy Shippen, to uh, Aldrich Ames, you know, there are parallels there, mm-hmm. so you can learn from the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the United States at the time uh, wasn't the United States, but the the, the colonies, the uh, the uh, Revolutionary Army, effectively under Washington, didn't have the tools yeah. to cope with a Benedict Arnold. Hopefully, ours are better now, although the threats have evolved as well. And so I spend part of my time also consulting on insider threat, mm-hmm. uh, which is um, the threat to U.S. businesses and industry posed by people who will betray uh, and uh, that, um, that threat comes both in the commercial arena and from state actors who are targeting U.S. industry. Mm-hmm. One, one thing that is not well understood in the United States uh, by industry is the asymmetry between U.S. intelligence and foreign intelligence. And by that, I mean, U.S. intelligence has no mandate to collect industrial secrets except in connection with specific issues, let's say, proliferation of nuclear weapons. On the other hand, most foreign intelligence services have that mandate; they will steal industrial secrets and use it to enhance the competitiveness, vis- uh, as juxtaposed against the United States, of their own industries. Mm-hmm. And this is a big problem for the U.S. Intellectual property, industrial secrets, trade secrets being stolen.
2: Well, again, um, you've uh, sh- among the, among the many nuggets that you have passed on to us. You've again uh, highlighted something else that is again opening another avenue of discussion but this time we don't we're we're not going to be so um greedy with your time you've 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 spent this time with us we appreciate it um i want to ask you a couple quick things before we let you go though sure uh, to sort of wrap this up um you've spoken a little bit about um you know um the the importance and the rich history of treason and i uh, oh, sorry the the rich history of counterintelligence and treason came up in the, in the discussion of that right there has been some discussion of late about treason mm-hmm. in the US and the Russians again in this particular situation are in the heart of that uh, I'm wondering not asking you to comment on any person or particular situation um, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about where the US is now with all of the uh, allegations of possible collusion all of the uh, allegations of 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 possible russian uh, well definite russian russian meddling because the intelligence community has said we've right. got the evidence of it i'm just wondering as you sit back and watch all this what are your thoughts
1: well i mean i think one not uh, there's a difference between targeting and and treason right mm-hmm. so it it does not surprise me at all that us presidential campaigns are targeted by foreign intelligence Agencies, particularly mm-hmm. the Russians, I think there's quite a quite a leap from there to treason. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think this is an evidentiary question, mm-hmm. uh, and treason is quite clearly defined. Sure. Uh, you know, there's in fact there are very few ca- there've been very few cases in U.S. history that have been prosecuted as treason. I think probably 50, maybe less. Mm-hmm. Uh, most are prosecuted under the Espionage Act of 1917, which involves uh, aiding a foreign power, mishandling classified information, and all the rest of that. Um, so, you know, trying to do a lot of uh, commentary throws around blithely terms that really have legal definitions to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I I I'm not going to uh, opine about m- motives or mm-hmm. what. Um, uh, what may or may not have uh, have driven uh, people personalities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say though that the the the, the issue of um, whether or not there has been treasonous activity is really a legal a legal question and whether mm-hmm. me- one meets that standard uh, and i uh, i again I think that the the main thing is to focus on the threat to American democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to lose sight of the fact that uh, the intent of the Russians here was to undermine U.S. democratic process, and uh, they've succeeded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the issue now for the United States is how to respond to that, um, and how do we um, ensure that this can't happen again in future?
2: Mark Kelton, when did you start in the intelligence community?
1: Uh, October the first, nineteen eighty-one.
2: From 1981 to 2018, January uh, 17th, which is the day, Mm -hmm. you have had more... You've heard the story, I'm sure, of Walter Mitty. (laughs) Many, many lives, it seems. Uh, As we conclude, I'm just wondering, um, do you ever stop and think, wow, how much I accomplished, how much I've been able to do in in the course of my life?
1: You know, um, I, I... I'm human. Sometimes I think back on—I think back a lot on the past, but I, I also want to think about the future, mm-hmm. right? I'm—you know—I'm still a relatively young person, so I want to continue, continue to contribute to, to my country. I love my country dearly, mm-hmm. uh, and want to continue to do what I can to make it a better place mm-hmm. and a stronger—a stronger country. The United States it, people again, having worked overseas and having sat opposite people who decided to put place their very lives in the hands of our officers, Mm -hmm. they don't understand the power of the American ideal in the world. I can say most definitively the greatest strength that I ever had as an operations officer, particularly when working against very, very difficult targets, was the understanding that the, the opposition, the person that I was working against, the person that I was sitting across, understood deeply that the American ideal was something special, and the United States is special in the world. The United States is the only country founded on an ideal, and that's what I always tried to represent, and that's what I think that uh,
2: CIA represents. Mark Kelton, it's been a gem. This has been a great opportunity to learn, to listen, uh, to fantasize a little bit, uh, also uh, on a more there are s- no
1: James Bonds out there. <laughs> there. James Bond doesn't carry a typewriter. Well, if he did, he'd look like you, right? <laughs> well, I don't know about that.
2: <laughs> but you know, it's it's also been um, a very sobering conversation too. And we thank you for stopping by. Anything you want to add?
1: No, I it just have been a privilege and uh, and uh, great to speak with you.
2: Thank you, Mark Kelton. That's it for this edition. Coming up. In our next program, you may remember Grace Joe's story right here on Target USA. For Grace Joe's family, 1998 was the last straw.
0: My grandmother, my bro- younger brothers, um, they all passed away because of starvation.
2: For six year old Grace and her younger brother, the food situation was extremely dire.
0: My younger brother and I was, were almost like uh, 10 days starved straight. Uh, We only drank uh, cold water and uh, there's no meal we can find. The public farms, uh, we cannot find any small potatoes from the farm because other people, they already like found them. And um, the winter time, We can't find like wood to burn and keep house warm. We don't have any food, we don't have any money and there's no way we can make money either.
2: They had to find a way out of North Korea.
0: We uh, walked a lot and uh, we crossed the river by swimming and uh, we also climbed the mountain.
2: Finally, they escaped and settled here in the U.S. And now, As the Olympics are about to start in South Korea, she returns to Target USA with some thoughts about why North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is so interested in joining the South Koreans in the Olympics.
0: A few months ago, he wanted to shoot the missiles and tried to start a war. Mm-hmm. And now he want to join the Olympic with the South Korea. All of a sudden. Yeah, all of a sudden. So it changes so suddenly. And um, um, they always said, well, South Korea is their enemy now. And they don't want to work together. And so and so. But suddenly they be- want to become uh, one team in-, in Olympics. So to me, it's it's very um, suspicious.
2: Find out why she's wary of Kim Jong-un on our next program. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Please subscribe to our podcast and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at WTOP.com. I'm J.J. Green and this is Target USA,
0: the National Security Podcast.
2: All the big names are on Podcast One Sportsnet, the home of Dan Patrick. I'm hanging out with any of the Kardashians, I'm hanging out with Chloe. As well as news shows like Red Circle Sports with Dennis Miller. Goodell has become completely full of it. Riggle's Picks with Rob Riggle and Sarah Tiana. Oh, yeah. Do you know the
1: difference between a million and a billion?
2: Um, uh, B. And AP Sports Weekly with Jim Litke. Have you guys ever considered trading Alabama for the Cleveland Browns? All this and more exclusively on Podcast One Sports.com and the Podcast One